Hey there, Duke fans. Happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to episode 560 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I'm Jason Evans here for your Thanksgiving enjoyment. Joining me, as always, my good buddy back from Trinidad and Tobago, Donald Wine. How you doing, Donald? I'm doing good. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. And we are recording this on Wednesday, but I know uh, a lot of you will not listen to this until maybe Thursday or maybe Friday. So I hope everyone has a happy Thanksgiving. I'm here in Texas with my dad and my brother. Going to relax for the next week to enjoy some football, some food, and of course, some Duke basketball. Amen, brother. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I get we're It's four o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. I apologize. We would have done this recap earlier in the day. You could have probably gotten it before Thanksgiving um, arrived, but I've been very busy, been working, and uh, I think we have 13 people in our house right now. It's <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on the clock, so I mean, it's 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 one of those days. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I was making um, uh, uh, sweet potatoes, a sweet potato casserole this afternoon. That was uh, I was required by uh, by my wife to make the sweet potato casserole before I did the the DVR podcast. But we're here now. And ready to talk about what happened last night, which was the Blue Devils defeating the LaSalle Explorers by the score of 95-66. to 66. LaSalle was uh, figured to be the best of the teams that Duke was going to face in the uh, Blue Devil Invitational or whatever it is they're calling this sort of set of games that, that Duke is playing um, in between Michigan State and Arkansas. That's what these are. This should be the in-between Michigan State and Arkansas challenge or something like that. that should be the name of it. <laughs> Although I will say, Jason, for I, mean, I know we've talked about this on this show before, but as I'm sitting here, we're watching you know some of the early season tournaments that are going on, and and yeah, it, it would have been cool to go to one of these things. But you know what? Yeah. Like we we get we we have these games. They're set for a reason. We're we're not the we're not the the schedule gurus uh, of uh, of Duke basketball. So there's a method of madness to this. And and these games are important for different reasons. And last night was no exception. Exactly. Exactly. You got to work on different things all the time. Donald, I'm going to let you get it started because you were the guy who had the, uh, the pleasurable task of going through all the headlines in the DBR inbox. As always, folks, dbrpodcast at gmail.com is how you reach us. It's how you send us your headlines. After each game, Donna, which are the headlines you like best today? Yeah, and we actually got a, a lot of pretty good ones. Uh, we'll start with Mark Esselstein. Uh, Esselstein, I, I I think I messed that up the first time, but he has a nice play on words. Doctor Proctor operates on explorers. Uh, Jason, they kind of reminded me of the uh, like Doctor Doctor, bring me in the yeah, news, I like, like that. that sort of thing. So I, I like that one. Um, John uh, Josh Levinson said, "Awesome Aussie and two hip flip explode, exposing explorers." Uh, that was a tongue twister. We love tongue twisters and alliteration here at the DBR podcast. So I appreciate Josh for that. And then, of course, uh, playing on the fact that LaSalle was very short uh, in their backcourt, especially in their backcourt. Andrea Maxson says Duke licks lollipop guild. So that one was pretty funny there. <laughs> I like that. I like that. There's one more that you did not. It came in late, so you may have missed it. But I mean, you want to talk about alliteration. Was it Jamie's? Jamie, yeah. Jamie Keffer. Uh, I think it's Keffer. I'm going to read this, folks. You ready? Proctor's perfect point play pushes pace as super Sean Stewart scores. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, that might is- be the most alliterative headline we've ever received jamie thank you it, for is, that. <laughs> it is really good and donald i had a headline from this game completely different from all the other ones my headline is this who's next deep duke team finds new heroes yet again obviously 
we have seen this again and again. I want to recount for everyone. Before we get to the game, I just want everyone to remember the first game we played against Dartmouth, Cal Filipowski, 25 and 8. Flip was the star of that game. The next game, Arizona. Flip was the leading scorer, but Jeremy Roach had an excellent game, was the man down the stretch for Duke against Arizona. The next game, the Caleb Foster game, Michigan State. We can just call it the Caleb Foster game. Everyone knows what you're mm-hmm. talking about. Then we played Bucknell. That was the McCain and Mitch show. Because Mark Mitchell was great that game, but Jared McCain was just like another level. And then last night, LaSalle, Tyrese Proctor, and Sean Stewart. Who's next for this Duke team? Again, it man, this is a measure of the strength of this squad. You never know who's going to be the poison that's going to kill you. I mean, Jason, it's it's kind of fun in a way. It hurts for the stats game. Oh, it's a lot the, of fun. <laughs> except for the category of uh, of number of team, number of players the leading, leading team score. Yeah. We're we're going to have a lot of those this year. It seems we already have what th- what three or four so far uh, on the early season. But I think it's great in the way that yeah, it's exciting. You don't know where it's coming from, but also it means that every guy it could be their night. That's a big matchup problem for any team that faces this because you're like, okay, if I stop flip. Man, Jeremy Roach could kill us. If I stop Roach, it might be McCain. If I stop McCain, it might be Foster. If I stop Foster, it might be, you know, it might be Proctor. The list goes on and on. And and if as we saw in this game, Jason, we had some excellent, I know we're kind of drifting into the good. We had some excellent bench uh productivity, especially from Sean Stewart, who's starting to break out. Yes. So those are those are things that that obviously we love as as Duke fans, but also opponents are going to really hate because they're not going to figure out who they're going to key in because the, the, the scoring and the, and actually the hero-ness, the heroism, I should say, can come from anywhere. Yeah, so we're going to get into the good. And by the way, you you alluded to it. We have had, in five games, Duke has had four different leading scorers so far this season, which is you know just really impressive, really surprising. There are probably not many teams in America who are successful, who are having you know this much variety of of. Uh, of leaders, at least offensively. So let's start with the good and host privilege. I'm going to go first. I want to talk about the pace of this game because we saw Duke in this contest really pushing the pace. On the third possession of the game, I noticed it was a, a, you know, LaSalle missed the shot. Duke rebounded it. It was one of these misses where everyone on LaSalle was already getting back. Like none of them went for the offensive rebound. It was only Duke guys who were there. And Tyrese Proctor was the guy who pulled down the rebound. And he suddenly, like, head up, was just flashing up the floor super fast. Now, they did not end up scoring on that play, but you could see, essentially, it was, we turned a regular rebound into a fast break. And that happened again and again throughout this game. Every single time, Duke got a turnover or uh, an out-of-bounds or a rebound. They were looking to push the pace. And... I, I went ahead and looked at the stats um, from Ken Palm. Um, Duke is currently playing. Uh, uh, D- Duke is currently on pace for the 110th uh, fastest offense in the country, which is which is really fast for Duke. Duke usually doesn't play quite that fast. 110th. The interesting thing is that there's a huge juxtaposition between our offense and our defense, because our defense is the 293rd fat, 293rd fastest. So Duke's playing like a top 100 offense in terms of speed, but they're playing like a bottom 50 or 60 defense in terms of speed. We are shooting fast, but our opponents are taking a lot of time, and that's a measure of how hard I think our opponents are working to get their shot. 
Jason, you mentioned that one play, you know, three plays into the game, Tyrese Proctor comes down. He almost beat everybody down the floor and they had like a 30 yeah. foot head start. So like that is not necessarily just the pace, but how quickly we were going out. And if you notice, and, and it'll, we'll kind of uh, foreshadowing uh, my play of the game, there's a lot of guys who took the ball up the floor because of this. We we saw the ball in everybody's hands, all the starting five, even some guys off the bench. There was a lot of people, if they took the ball, they weren't waiting to hand it off to Proctor or to Roach or to McCain. They were going forward with it. And because of that, we were able to get a lot of great looks. We, we didn't hit all of them, but that, I mean, again, rushing the rushing down the floor and getting a good shot up is going to be uh, is going to be useful down the stretch, especially when you talk about some of these teams that do want to slow the game down and don't get back on defense. Yeah, so we were talking about defense um, and and how Duke forces teams into bad shots. And my second thing in the good is the defense that Duke that Duke played. I thought we forced LaSalle into bad shots again and again and again. They only hit twenty five percent of their three pointers in this game. They were repeatedly taking off balance and contested jump shots. My man Khalil Brantley. Remember in the in the preview, <laughs> in the preview, I talked about Khalil Brantley, the guy who loves to take bad shots and misses a ton of them. He went two of ten from the field. I said I wanted Duke to just let him shoot. We we accomplished that mission. Two of ten is not good, Khalil Brantley. Um, but LaSalle has super experienced guards. Uh, they're all juniors and seniors. And for us to be able to force them to play the game that we want them to play is a statement about the quality of the defense that this Duke team played. We held LaSalle seven points under their season scoring average. And I didn't even realize this, but the Duke Sports Information Department tells me that Duke has now held every single opponent this year. All five teams we've played have scored less than their season average. Now, it's early in the year. I mean, you know, don't want to necessarily say this is a definitive trend, but it 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 sure looks like this Duke team is going to be very strong on defense, going to be good at forcing teams into difficult shots. And I think it's really interesting that we're holding teams under their scoring average, even though I just mentioned that Duke is playing at a relatively fast pace. Usually a faster pace would indicate that that your the teams are scoring more because they're just more possessions. It, it's a measure of Duke's defense that that is not happening so far. Hey, you, you want to do defense? You want to get to the offense? Let's talk about the offense. Uh, look, the first thing I'll say before we focus in on any one player is that Jason, and if we're looking at the uh, the stats game, we had four guys in double figures led by Tyrese Proctor. And all four of those guys were like one or two uh, stats away from a 10-5-5 game. Every right. single one of them was like maybe one rebound. But none of them got of, there. <laughs> but none of them got there. That kind of tells you, one, how difficult a 10-5-5 game is. But also, it it speaks to the fact that everybody is passing the ball around. Everyone's moving the ball around. Everyone is contributing in some of these statistical areas. And sometimes in some of these areas that don't reflect on the score sheet. So I do want to start with Tyrese Proctor because he was the man. 22.7 rebounds, four assists, drew four fouls while not giving up one. And Jason, once again, for the third game in the row, zero turnovers. I know you know that math. When it comes to assist-to-turnover ratio, that limit does not exist. And we want that to continue to not exist for Tyrese Proctor. Yeah, in the past three games, it's 14 assists and zero turnovers. That's just a that's a crazy number. It, it, it's incredible. And on the season, Tyrese Proctor now has 27 assists and only four turnovers. His assist to turnover ratio on the season is 6.75. I don't know what the Duke record is for a point guard. It's probably like, you know, maybe in the fives, I think. 
feel like you know Trey or Tyus Jones. Tyus, I, I think, had had a really high assist to turnover ratio. The Jones brothers were really, really great at not turning the ball over at all. But a six point seven five from Tyus Proctor is just—it's outrageous. Um, you mentioned in this game, Duke had twenty-one assists and just five turnovers as a team. Um, and for Tyrese Proctor, if we get back to him, I—I I, I thought I loved the way he owned the first half. He was as aggressive in the first half as I think we've seen him all year. He ends up shooting five of eight in the first half and scoring 14 points. He cooled off in the second half and not so much. He cooled off as that he deferred a little bit more. He didn't keep mm-hmm. on, you know, and, and this is part of what we're talking about, about the depth of this Duke team. Like some guys take over for a little bit and they go, eh, okay, I'll let someone else do the, do the work in the, in the second half. Um, And, and that guy who did the work in the second half was Kyle Filipowski who had a very quiet first half. First half, he's just one for four from the floor for three points. Second half, he goes five for six, including two of three for long range. 14 points in the second half. Basically, he took over early in the second half and gave Duke the insurmountable lead that, you know, we we would never be challenged again by LaSalle. And those two guys uh, among our lead guys, I thought, you know, clearly had the best games. You know, I, I also want to talk about before we get to the bench, I want to talk about Mark Mitchell. Mark Mitchell, 12 points, five rebounds, three assists, one steal. Once again, just a couple of assists shy of a 10-5-5 game. And he's been one that's, again, flirted with 10-5-5 games all year long and just has, you know, just barely missed out, whether it's being be an assist or a board. But I think what's great about him is also, again, his defense. He wasn't fouling that much. He was stealing the ball. He wasn't, he was leading guys into trouble. And also he was great on the press break. You know, I thought him and, and Tyrese Proctor, whenever LaSalle tried to kind of force a press break, they both are very good about finding the pass that got us across half court or at least cleared, you know, cleared us out of the fray and got the ball into one of our ball handlers to bring it across the floor, across midtime. So I think when it comes to Mitchell and again, 12 points, we know the stat. What is it? We've only had one loss when he has more than 10 points. So if he can exactly. keep doing 10, 12 points again, he's not he's the third or fourth you know, option when it comes to scoring. But the fact that he can find 12 points, 13 points is really going to help this ball club moving, moving forward. Yeah. He had another excellent game. And I've said this before on the podcast, but I'm going to repeat it again. Mark Mitchell just looks more aggressive. He looks like he's looking for his shot in a way we didn't even begin to see last year. All right. Uh, There was a couple of times where he would, he takes the ball on the wing and there'd be a time where, Oh, there's a great pass that he could probably do a skip pass or something like that. And he would kind of look at that skip pass. He wouldn't actually fake it, but he would look over towards that region just to get everyone's eyes moving in that direction. And then bam, he's going towards the basket and what he's not just his aggression towards the basket, but his finishing has been great. Cause last year there was times where he would be aggressive towards the basket, but he wouldn't quite finish it this year. He's right. finishing those baskets. Yeah. Let, uh, so let's move to a couple guys coming off the bench and we're going to start with Sean Stewart. Um, it was about, Oh, maybe five or seven minutes into the game last night, I took a note to myself and I said, it's just going to be difficult for John Shire to keep Sean Stewart from playing big minutes. <laughs> I, could, I could already sense we're going to look back on some of the early season games when Sean Stewart, you know, was playing less than double digit minutes and just be like, how did that happen? Because I think this guy's going to play a huge role for Duke moving forward. The more and more he adjusts to the college game, the more impressed you are with his play. He is so quick to the ball on those rebounds, his ability to rebound out of his area. It's just, we don't see it. You don't see that very often. Um, There's no one, I'll say it. There's no one on this team who rebounds out of their area the way Sean Stewart does. 
Um, his opening points in this game were an offensive rebounding tip where he was so much faster to the ball. If go back and watch the replay that everyone else was still on the floor. They were on the ground while he was putting the ball in the basket. That's how much faster he was than all of them. It's, it's the speed of his jump. It's his anticipation. It's those pogo stick legs of him. 16 points, 10 rebounds in just 17 minutes of playing time. That's, that's absurd. That's a ridiculous line from a from a guy. And uh, I, I will say, just really quick, his rebounding total was a little boosted because he, he had a couple times where he missed a shot and then got his own rebound. But you know what? That's a possession that ended with two points for Duke, courtesy of Sean Stewart, so I'll take it. Look, the game has slowed down for him and sped up at the same time. And in the sense of... What he's seeing, his court vision, all of that, all of that has slowed down. And we always talk about it sometimes takes freshmen a little bit for them to kind of slow down and accept the pace of college basketball and, and get into that flow. But once it slowed down for him and it's still, cons- you know, you know, moving, you know, at a much slower pace, he's able to make decisions, uh, you know, at, at, a, at a college pace, but also it allows him to fly. And I think that's the best part about it is that he gets to run out on the break. We'll talk about, you know, favorite plays, but one of my favorite plays involves Sean Stewart, just grabbing a rebound or just being in the area. And then all of a sudden seeing that there was a, you know, an area to break to and kind of like a wide receiver, boom, he hits that slot and he's gone. And all this, all you got to do is just feed him the, feed him the ball. So the game is starting to slow down to a point where he is allowed to kind of stretch his wings out and fly. And with that athleticism that he has, that's a great, great problem to have for Duke University because he's going to be able to, again, like you said, take some rebounds that could be 50-50 balls and turn them into rebounds. He can take some you know, offensive rebounds, turn them into points. And at the same time, on defense, he's so active, he can block every single person in the gym. It's great to see him playing the way he is. Yeah, the, you know, the other thing I'll say about him is we, we do need to see him do it against the kind of athletes that Duke's going to be playing in, in our major games. It's worth noting that against Arizona and Michigan State, he only played three and four minutes in each of those games. The, the big numbers that he's been putting up lately have been against Bucknell and LaSalle, who frankly just don't have athletes like, like Sean Stewart. They don't have size. Guard. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's going to be, you know, I'll be very interested in seeing if he can – continue to duplicate, if not this kind of performance, at least a similar kind of performance against Arkansas in a, you know, in a week and a half or so. That's to me, that's, that's a really big deal. Um, Cause if that, if that happens, then we will know that he has arrived. And if it doesn't, it's clear that it's just, you know, it's going to get there for him at some point. It just may take a little more time, but wow, just super impressive performance from him yesterday. Last guy I wanted to mention, Donald, we got to talk about TJ power. Oh yeah. TJ power had not, scored a bucket he'd gotten some free throws but he had not scored a bucket for the duke blue devils in their first four games in this game he comes in late and and, and look I, i'm i'm pretty clear i think that you know it, he, he's not going to be a guy i i just am not seeing a role for him yet on this team in really close competitive games but he came in late he's a great shooter and we got to see a little bit of the tj power shooting stroke not it's great for him to see it great for all of us to see it Knocked down three, three-pointers, three in a row. Took a little heat check, fourth one. I liked it. Definitely definitely heat check. And, and everyone it was very was, close. It, all, it almost went down. Almost Cameron, went down. That would have been, 
and everyone was cool with it. That was one where even like the yes. bench was like, okay, cool. Like even like you saw like John Shire kind of clap his hands like, hey, that's cool. Like we're okay with those heat checks. Exactly. And, and Cameron, you heard the whole place go, ooh, like everyone was ready to just like to explode if he hit mm-hmm. that fourth one in a row. But hey, he did a great job. I know he feels good. Um, I, I love the fact that in the postgame locker room, um, he was one of the guys doing the interviews with the other players. You know, they they passed the mic around and and they were all interviewing him and he was doing interviews with other guys. You could tell that, it, you know, it feels better for him, I'm sure, than some of these other recent games. And I just I'm, I'm really hoping he he sticks with it, keeps his head up and recognizes that even if his day may not be right now, it will be coming at some point in the future. And the the Blue Devils will need him and use him in a very big way at some point down the road. Jason, there's going to be a point in the season where we're going to need a three-pointer. And this may not set up him for more playing time, but this will set up that confidence that we may need that, it, hey, not necessarily like with five seconds left, but like if we're inside a minute and it's tie ball game or something like that, we need a three-pointer, he could be a part of that lineup. And I think that's where the confidence that he's building now could help down the road. I'm not saying that's necessarily going to happen, but you want that confidence because you never know what scenario is going to present itself where TJ power may need to come off the bench and hit a three pointer. If he has that confidence that he can do that, that's going to help. So I'm, I'm cool with him. I'm cool. The heat checks and it's good to see him get on the floor and get some buckets. Hey, last thing I have in the good coach K showed up for this game. Yeah. It wasn't like that big a deal, you know? It's starting to become somewhat normal. Like, hey, he's going to be here sometimes. Sometimes he's not going to be here. We know he was probably here to to see his old buddy, Fran Dunphy. The the announcers talked about this a little bit. Both guys who who played at Army and and have known each other, you know, longer than they've known their wives, probably. <laughs> long time. Long time. Yeah. Fran Dunphy. We, we talked about Fran Dunphy being one of the, uh, you know, legends of college basketball from, co- from a coaching standpoint. And, yeah, he's been coaching basically alongside – Coach K as long long as he has, so uh, it was good to see that. It was good to see him and 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 Mickey in in the crowd. And Jason, before we before we move to the you know bad, I do want to say our defense I thought was great in the sense that we were forcing LaSalle to take one jumper and that's it. There was yeah. very few opportunities for them to get second chance points. I don't, I don't even think they did. Uh, I'm sorry, they did have four. They had four offensive rebounds all night in this 11 percent range which is great at most times it was duke getting the ball and like you said earlier with the tempo getting the ball and moving to the other end and scoring on the sal before they had a chance to set themselves i thought that was really good and duke needs to understand when we play some of these better teams one possession and go because if you keep them down and keep them around people are going to start hitting second chance points on us and that's the difference between losing games by one and winning games by five yeah, I'm glad you brought up the rebounding. Duke wins the rebounding battle in this game, 42 to 27. The thing that impressed me, we had five different guys who had five or more rebounds. We really, you know, shared and and spread that around a, a, a good bit. Um, uh, our guards uh, yeah, are doing a fabulous job. Both, you know, Tyrese Proctor in this game had had seven rebounds. Jared McCain had six rebounds. We're seeing Jared McCain do a really, really great job of of getting on the boards. Last game, of course, he had uh, you know, a a double double because of all those rebounds. But yeah, that's it's an essential part of of what Duke is trying to accomplish is to have those guards go ahead and rebound. Hey, we're gonna take a quick break. When we get back from the break, we gotta talk a little bit about the bad. There's a little bit of bad, not a lot, a little bit. We'll have that in just a moment. Hey there, Duke fans. You know, warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors. No prep, no mess meals. 
meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-created meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. That's right, Jason. And Jason, I can tell you, I just got some meals. They're fantastic. And the great thing is, like you said, two minutes. Mindless work. Pop it in the microwave. Do what you need to do. And it's ready to eat. No more cooking. No more cleaning pots and pans. And also, there's a lot of choices with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So you'll always have new flavors to explore. All right. So head to factormeals.com slash DukeBB50. Use that code DukeBB50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code DukeBB50 at factormeals.com. Get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy Factor Meals from the Duke Basketball Roundup. All right, we're back from the break, and we got to do the bad. Um, not a lot of bad stuff from this game. Donald, why don't you go first? Uh, what did you see that, that gave you some concerns? You know, I think the one thing about this team so far this year is we've had stretches throughout the game, and they aren't necessarily long stretches, but they're stretches where we play sloppy or, or inconsistent. We're not making baskets. We're turning the ball over. And, you know, you mentioned in, in, in this game we had uh, just five turnovers, but it felt like three or four of them came in a stretch of about five minutes in the first half where LaSalle kind of took it let took, back in. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let LaSalle back in the game. Now LaSalle never took the lead. They never tied. They, they never saw the lead ever in this game, but I guess in one point though. <laughs> yeah. It, that's my point. And it was this little run that we had where we just kind of lost the plot for a little bit, started making some bad decision with the ball, turned the ball over a couple of times and it led to LaSalle points in the other end. I, I think those are the things that we need to cut down that that's a product of, inconsistency amongst you know the team and, and you know i'm not singling anybody out but i think when that happens as a team effort right you have to be able to get back into it and that's where the leadership comes in where they say hey look we gotta hone in get to this tv timeout and then regroup so i'm not necessarily super concerned about it but that's definitely something that we can improve on over the next week or so especially we don't want to have that against arizona or i'm sorry against arkansas next week yeah so uh, my stuff that I have in the bad and and look, I, you know, I hate to call out players by name, but we got to got to call a spade a spade. Um, uh, Jeremy Roach, frankly, had his third sort of meh ugh, eh, game in a row. Um, he was just two of eight in this game for four points. That's the lowest point total for Jeremy Roach since that abomination of a game we had last year against NC State, which was really the low point for our team last year. I mean, that was just... Uh, Folks, have you forgotten about that game? I'm not going to remind you about it. <laughs> I forgot, and then you brought it up. So Yeah, sorry. I apologize. <laughs> anyway, four points with Jeremy Roach. That's not a good number from him. I'm honestly not sure what's going on with him. Like I said, this is three three games in a row. Maybe he's letting the youngsters take more of the lead or something like that, but it's just three games in a row where he hasn't seemed like the same Jeremy Roach that we've had recently, and I, I want him to, you know, he needs to kick that and get, get out of the funk fairly soon. Um, I thought that Ryan Young was kind of a no-show. He only got nine minutes in this game. Only had two minutes in the second half. Now, I think part of that was Duke stretched out the lead fairly quickly in the second half. Like, flip in the first, like, five minutes of the second half basically said, okay, game over. 
And I think when when game over happens, the coaches know there's no reason to put your fifth year senior Ryan Young in in the game. There's just you know it doesn't he doesn't need the playing time, and and the team wants other guys to work together. So I I guess that's why. But again, you know, nine minutes is is not a a big number for Ryan Young. Also, he had only two rebounds, which you know, and I felt like felt like there may have been a couple times where he sort of got in the way of the guards while he was setting screens in the perimeter. It felt like you know they were sort of too close together and stuff, uh, you know, some passes and things. I don't know. It just, it didn't seem as smooth as it sometimes is with Ryan young. Um, I did like that. He took, he had a wide open three and he went ahead and took it and it nearly went in. It was a good looking shot. I'm Jason, glad that he, he feels. Jason, he got pulled 10 seconds after that three. <laughs> It didn't look it didn't look great, ladies and gentlemen. I I, I appreciate the fact that he took it because, again, it was one of those plays that we saw against Arizona where he was left alone with no one within 15 feet of him. It, it took it. It was long. And then like 10 seconds later, you saw flip enter the check back into the game and Ryan Young sat on the bench and he was on the bench, I think, for most of the rest of the first half. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe Jason might be wrong in that, but you know, that's just it's just how how it plays sometimes. Last thing I have in the bad, Jared McCain, one game after being dominant, really struggled in this contest. We mentioned he had some rebounds. That's nice, but you know, he hit two three-pointers late in the game when the game was out of hand, but he did nothing. I mean, nothing in the first half. I continue to believe that Jared McCain might be the most the the most, you know, sort of talented skill-wise player on this entire team and uh i yeah he's got to develop a little more consistency it is worth noting it's kind of an interesting little thing that uh duke men's basketball tweeted the duke lab report this was uh this was sort of some uh some sports science statistics from the game and they pointed out that jared mccain paced the team in total sprinting distance and had the top velocity of anyone in the game at at almost 15 and a half miles per hour. At one point, Jeremy King was running 15 and a half miles per hour. So I, I had that, that speed once. Cool. It was fun. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Not anymore. Not anymore. Give me your last piece of bad, Dom. Uh, Jason, I think the last thing I had, and you, you mentioned the inconsistency that we've seen uh, from a lot of players, but most notably your freshmen, which you know you kind of accept because freshmen are going to be inconsistent but you want that consistency to improve as the year goes on i think the one thing that we did have we had a couple of random plays where uh we had either breakaway dunks or breakaway layups that we missed and you know again not necessarily a huge cause for concern but it's like the second game in a row where we've had a couple of those where we end up blowing the dunk or we end up you know missing a layup off of a off of a fast break those are you know obviously easy point generators, but they're also momentum builders. And we want to make sure we keep that momentum and not lose it by, you know, air airballing a layup or something like that. So again, not a huge cost for concern, but there was a couple of those plays where we're kind of like, hey, let's snip that in the bud right now while we can. Let's move on to our uh, play of the game. What do you got, Donald? Yo, I, Jason, bet, I, wonder, I bet it's going to be the same as mine. It's definitely the same, and I think a couple of uh, our, our readers agree. Ken Swanner and, and Chris Emerson also sent in this play. Flip gets the steal, second half. He takes the ball up the floor again. He, he didn't wait for anybody. He said, I'm just going to go. And then the sweet no-look pass from about 35 feet to Sean Stewart. Sean Stewart didn't even – it didn't look like Sean Stewart even knew it was coming to him. Oh, Sean Stewart is damn lucky the thing didn't hit him in the head. Yeah, I mean, it kind of – It was an him. amazing pass. Amazing Sean Stewart pass. was like, what? Where is hits, him in his, hits him in his hands. He bobbles it a little bit, catches it, lays it in. But that was that was easily the play of the game. 
Yeah, it was funny. You know, that play came. I was sort of, it was funny. I was thinking back to myself at that moment. I was like, you know, you know, we're getting late in the game and I'm not sure what my play of the game, you know, uh, yeah, what's going to be the play? There, there wasn't anything that had really stood out for me in the first half. I was like, ah, I can't figure out what it's going to be. Flipped at that. And I was like, okay, all done. <laughs> Write that down. down. Yeah. In the book. By the way, uh, speaking of play of the game, we realized, we've been reminded by some of you listeners, that we haven't been naming the player of the week, a tradition that goes back, I think, to the very beginning. Uh, we are we apologize. We get busy here. <laughs> Sometimes things slip through the cracks. I don't think we're not going to go back and retro- retroactively do player of the week, I don't think. I mean, I guess we could. It'd be flip for the first week and foster for the second week. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I think those are probably you know, where it would fall. And uh, this week is not done yet, but when this week is done over the weekend, when we are recapping the game against Southern Indiana, we will mention who we pick for player of the week. So thanks folks for writing to us and reminding us that Donald and I are falling down on the job. We keeping ourselves accountable. That's what, that's what we appreciate. Exactly. Exactly. And before we go, just really quickly, uh, wanted to mention folks, you're listening to this podcast, which means you know how to listen to podcasts which means that I'm about to ask you the question, have you listened to the latest edition of the Brotherhood podcast hosted by Ryan Young? If you have not, you are really missing something. I think it's one of the best ones he's done so far. It is with J-Rob, Justin Robinson, the le- the man, the legend, the walk-on who became a starter who single-handedly slayed the North Carolina beast. I'm convinced to this day I will go to my grave believing that J-Rob and Vernon Carey and Trey Jones, we're going to take that Duke team to the Final Four had there not been that terrible, nasty COVID to come out and end the season for all of us. But just a great, really fascinating interview that Ryan Young did with Justin Robinson. Again, I urge all of you, go out there and find it. Have a listen to it. Uh, there are some amazing, really interesting things that Justin Robinson talks about. He was in Israel on October 7th when the Hamas terrorist attack happened. Uh, he he played for an Israeli team last year. He was about to start the season playing for them again this year. Uh, he was, you know, it took him several days to get out of the country and get back to the United States. And he clearly still feels very connected to to his teammates, to his friends who are over there. Really interesting to hear him talk about that. Uh, John Shire, of course, played very briefly in Israel and has a connection to to, to Israel, um, both from his Jewish heritage and because he played over there for a little while and. John Shire and Justin Robinson have had talked and communicated a bit about about what it's like playing in Israel, and, and it's just really interesting to hear so much about about J. Rob's career and about his attitude about being a guy who was you know a very very deep bench player. He was a he was a walk on, and uh, but who worked his way into being a significant role player for the team. And then the last thing, Donald, the thing I think is most interesting reason he's back on campus is thinking about getting into coaching. And he openly talked about, you know, you know, oh, maybe player development kind of, you know, th- th- those those positions that Duke has where they sort of start to groom you to be an assistant coach. I love the sound of that. The 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 notion to me that you're going to get a guy who has tremendous NBA understanding because he grew up literally in the, you know, hanging out with the entire San Antonio Spurs basketball team because his father was a pretty notable member of the Spurs <laughs> he was okay yeah one of the 50 greatest players of all time so he he knows so much about NBA work ethic the things that happen at that level 
He also knows what it takes to get better in college, to be able to impart to to, to players the, the lessons that he took that had him rise from being a an afterthought, a guy who never played, to being a guy who was the focal point of the offense against UNC in the final game of the regular season. I mean, my goodness, it's it's an incredible basketball journey that he had, and you know, adding him to the staff, I think, would be a absolute dream. Absolutely, and and you know, going back to the uh, October seventh, it was John Shire who got got him in touch with a family that lived there so that he could right. be safe, and then I, I guess help that family help the range. Uh, for Justin Robinson and several others to get out of Israel to get back to the United States. So uh, again, that that brotherhood is not just for the basketball court. It was it was it's a lifelong thing, and and the fact that it was used uh, uh, in in to, in a way of good on on such a terrible day is is incredible to for him to recount that story. But Jason, you also talked about uh, the coaching aspect of things and the fact that he he has that pedigree. He also talked about the fact that he got to see his you know he got to see his brothers. Uh, go to college and play collegiate uh, sports, play basketball at Texas, football at Notre Dame. Uh, so that helps. He also talked about when he was at Duke, we, we talked about that 2020 team and everyone's like, well, you know, how do you get to that point where you kind of, you had that magical run that he did. And he said, look, the four years before that, I had to guard like the best player in college basketball <laughs> in practice yeah, he, every day. He recounted, he was like, Brandon Ingram, then like Marvin Zion, Bagley, uh, Brandon Ingram, Marvin Bagley, Zion Williamson, Vernon um, Carey, like, <laughs> and then Vernon Carey, like, come, come on, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's like, yeah, my see, you know, my, my first senior year, you know, before I go to grad school, my senior year, I'm guarding Zion Williamson. That's going to make anybody better. So what is he almost joked in a way when he said, yeah, I had Vernon Carey in my graduate year. That's when I blossomed. Right. Like it's, it's no slight on Vernon Carey. It's like after four years of guarding the best player in college basketball, he turns around and is like, oh, I could do that for a little bit. Like whenever you need me, I'm ready to go. And we had that magical run that he did that literally only COVID could stop him. So, uh, it's it was it was a fascinating interview. He, you know, him being a coach at Duke. I don't know if it's coming imminently. It sounds like he's in the pipeline. Um, but yeah. he, a, a, with this coaching staff, as you mentioned, like anything can happen. We have a lot of guys who are on the radar for coaching jobs all across this country. So, you know, enjoy enjoy the staff while you can because it can change and it will change. But it's great to know that there are guys lined up ready to go. And J. Rob being one of them, man, he'd be a great great coach one day. Yeah, and he mentioned, by the way, he's not sure he's done with his pro career. He may still try and go back to someplace in Europe, Israel, or wherever else it may be, and and try to resume playing pro basketball. So we wish him the best no matter where he goes. And, and that interview is just... Friend of the pod. Remember, we first interviewed him when he was he had yes. just accepted a preferred walk-on because you met, you met his dad at a Topgolf event in, I did. in Texas. Yep. <laughs> he I go know. way back with J-Rob. Yeah, I do. I do. It was it was awesome. Um, all right. Hey, before we run, just really, really quick, we wanted to mention there's been some other college basketball going on lately. And I, I'm going to go first. I want to mention the Marquette, Kansas game. What an incredible, incredible game um, for Marquette to win that game. To beat the number one team. If you look at Marquette's roster, they've got a roster full of guys who are frankly like long shots to even get drafted. You know, not saying first round picks like maybe Tyler Kolek gets taken mid to late second round. I, I don't think there's much chance he's going to go a lot higher than that. And and they are as good as any team in the country right now it is a, a great testament to Shaka Smart. It's a great testament to the work ethic that those guys have put in 
to form, to become a team together. They have an incredible chance. They're going to play Purdue today. Game hasn't happened yet. By the time you listen to this, you may know the result of it, but uh, Marquette is playing Purdue today. They played the number one team, Kansas, yesterday. Number two team, Purdue, today. If Marquette, if, first of all, Marquette is the first team since Loyola, Chicago in 1972 to play the number one and number two teams on back-to-back days. I don't know. I don't even know how that happens. It's like crazy. But the bizarre thing is Loyola, Chicago won both those games back in 1972 when they did it. Mm-hmm. So Marquette trying to match the Ramblers of Loyola Chicago as the only team to defeat number one and two teams on consecutive days. And the other thing is, folks, go on Twitter. Find me on Twitter, Jason Duke Evans, because I tweeted out the shot chart from the Marquette, Kansas game. You know me. I love my analytics. The analytics will tell you there are only two shots worth taking. You either take a shot in the lane or you take a three-pointer. Anything else. The analytics gurus will tell you probably probably isn't a great, you know, if you're wide open from 12 feet outside the lane, I guess that's okay. But like for the most part, your shot chart should look like a bunch of stuff right in the middle, right there in front of the basket, a bunch of stuff outside the three-point arc and nothing in between. That's what the Marquette shot chart looks like against Kansas. It is amazing to see what remarkable discipline for them to recognize this is a good shot, and all those other shots are bad shots, and I'm not going to take any bad shots. Uh, it was really, it, it's just such a thing of beauty. As an analytics guy, I was like, thank you, Marquette, for proving that this is the way to play basketball. Marquette is going to be a problem. I saw them play last year uh, here in D.C. when they played Georgetown. I mean, when I say sh- saw them play, I was two rows behind their bench. Going to see them again this year, they are a problem this year. They have a lot of guys returning. Tyler Kolick, as you mentioned, you know, one of the uh, preseason All-American uh, first team guys. So he's a guy that everyone is looking at to lead this team. And Shock has got them rolling so far this season. Again, they have such a, a difficult schedule. So I commend them on on doing that as well. But Jason, I did want to mention some of the other games or at least other teams in the ACC that have been doing well. FSU, who a lot of people picked to finish towards the bottom of the ACC. They won the Sunshine Slam ch- uh, Championship by beating a ranked Colorado team in the final. It was overtime. Look, we, we've ragged on Louisville on the show, so I want to give them props. They took Texas to the brink uh, in, in the Empire Classic. They lost by one point on a Max Acemas. Shout out. you. We, we remember Max Acemas. Oh, from, my God. It's yeah. an incredible shot. By, it's a it's a terrible shot. It's a Dane Lillard game winner, that type of shot, where, where after the game you're like, yo, analytically, that's a, that's a terrible shot. But it went in. Um, but Max A. Smith, uh, of course, he's a he's the man. We saw him play uh, against us last year. He was a problem then. He's a problem in Texas now. And Louisville took them to the brink. Miami, still undefeated. They win the Baja Mar Hoops Bahamas Classic. They've been doing pretty well. UNC is in Atlantis. They struggle against Northern Iowa. They came back, stormed back in the second half to win. They're still in that. And a lot of these other games, uh, or a lot of these other teams that are in these early season uh, early season tournaments, have been doing so well. UVA loses to Wisconsin. Syracuse loses to Gonzaga and Tennessee. Again, Gonzaga and Tennessee, really good teams. No slight there. But you want to see the ACC do well, especially at the Bowie Invitational. And then Wake goes to the Charleston Classic and finishes sixth. So uh, this this upcoming ACC-SEC challenge is going to be super important for the conference. And they start to run some of the ads on there where they're talking about who's the best conference it's going to be very important for us to get out on the right foot there to show that, hey, 
we're playing tough schedules. We may be losing some of these games, but we're but we're we're going to be better teams for it. And this conference is a good conference because of all the teams that we are been playing. Exactly, exactly. And uh, hopefully the ACC can continue to stick up for itself and uh, and maybe maybe <laughs> prove that we're like one of the better conferences. I don't know. I hope. I hope. That'd, That'd be, be nice. great. Yeah. Duke Duke needs a uh, you know to get some more good non-com uh good conference games to go with what is already a challenging non-conference schedule. That's going to wrap it up for us here on episode 560 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We're going to be back in your feed very very soon. In fact, you'll probably see two you may see two episodes in your feed right now because we're going to have a preview of Duke's game against Southern Indiana. But until then, he's Donald, I'm Jason. Have a happy Turkey Day everybody. Enjoy that turkey and then sleep it off. <laughs> Here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home.